Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 91 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, here it is, as promised, I've finally started my top bar hive project by getting into the workshop and watching Pete do all the woodwork. This week, I'm discussing what the top bar hive is all about, why I've chosen to give them a try, and how we're getting on building our very first hive. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. So, the top bar hive, or TBH as I'm likely to abbreviate it to, is not totally new to me, as I'll explain, but I've never used one myself to keep bees in and have always wondered what the fuss was all about, so I thought it's about time we gave it a try. The TBH seems to generate a lot of heated and passionate debate wherever it's used, and that in itself is quite interesting to me because, as most of you know, I'm very much about letting beekeepers keep bees that they want to keep bees in, whether it be in Langstroths or Nationals, Warray hives or plastic bee house constructions. Surely it's down to the individual beekeeper to decide how he or she wants to keep bees and get the maximum amount of pleasure out of it that they can. Now, I'm a beekeeper with a small commercial outfit, barely commercial, with around 80 colonies going into this winter, but even so, I can't see myself continuing to be a commercially productive beekeeper if I were just using a top bar hive as my main hive type. I could, of course, be totally wrong and find that it works out perfectly, so I'm not going to close my mind to any outcome at the outset, but I do have reservations about the practicalities of moving bees around in a TBH. Before I get stuck into the nitty-gritty of the top bar hives, in today's podcast I want to talk about what they are, how they work, and think about some of the practical pros and cons of making one. Back at the workshop, Pete and I have started to construct our very first hive, and it seems to be going quite well. I've posted some pictures, and there'll be videos to follow in the next few weeks. On the subject of videos, I made one of those terrible cock-ups this week. I went over to the workshop at the weekend, and we started to prepare the wood for the top bar hive, the TBH, and I shot some very lengthy videos showing in detail the steps that we'd taken thus far. I got home, had dinner, had a glass of wine and started watching the Eagles playing football and while I was watching decided I could catch up a little by uploading the photographs that I'd taken to my Google Photos account. I didn't need to upload the videos as I was going to download those to my computer to edit and it looked as if I'd uploaded all the pictures and the videos at the same time. So wait for it. I deleted all of the videos from my Google Photos app. The next morning, I sat at my computer ready to download the videos onto my computer and they were nowhere to be seen. Yep, I deleted the lot. About 20 minutes of HD video. It was one of those, no, I haven't moments. A brief but pointless attempt at trying to recover them and then the realisation that I'm going to have to do it all again. On the bright side, at least we have another palette and plenty of wood to be able to recreate the shoot, so we're going to have another go at it later this week. Anyway, top bar hives. Without trying to sound too patronising, these are 
beehives which have top bars for the bees instead of frames. It's really as simple as that. There are a variety of types which I don't really want to get into. The internet is awash with claims of who is supposed to have invented them and the different types and which one might be best and which one might be worse. Well, the one me and Pete have created is a version of, I think, the Kenyan top bar hive, and there are plans freely available on the internet, and I'll be posting a blog showing our TBH journey over the coming months, and no doubt we'll post a plan and cutting list there for anyone that wants to follow us. I've been considering why a TBH would be so good. Well, for a start, it's a super easy hive to build, and as I've mentioned, we're using pallet wood, which was free, so they can be super cheap. Of course, you can go out and buy a ready-made hive, but for me, that kind of defeats the object of this particular project. They can be made to suit the beekeeper and the available timber. For me, I would like to have the bees at a height that is comfortable to inspect, and that isn't always possible with the more conventional hives. Here the main point of interest for me is that the hive is a horizontal beehive, which means there'll be no heavy boxes to lift. Let me explain further. The top bar hive is a long wooden box with top bars that sit on top of the box and fit tightly together with no gaps for a bee space between the wooden top bars. The bees build the combs downwards and sideways, which means each top bar can be inspected without the need to lift heavy boxes from the top before you get into the brood nest. Just to touch on the design a little bit more here, the sides of the box are angled, so the box is wide at the top and narrow at the bottom. This mimics to a certain degree the natural kind of wine glass shape of the combs that are built down from the top bars. I'm sure there are lots more advantages of using the top bar hive, but for now, the ability to inspect without heavy lifting is right at the very top for me. I'm jumping around a little here, but to go back to the design that Pete and I have gone for, it's made to fit with the kit that we currently have. Namely, the length of the hive is going to be close on half the length of the pallet planks that we've deconstructed. And that's around 1300 millimetres, so just over four foot long. This actually fits nicely into the back of the Ranger, so we can move them to their new home once constructed. I might put one at the allotment, but I'm not sure yet as to exactly where we're going to locate them. The sides of the hive are made to approximately 300mm or 12 inches deep. Coincidentally, the pallet wood we have is actually made up of planks measuring 4 inches wide. So we haven't got to cut anything down to fit, which is also really handy. I would say if you have planks that measure slightly more or less, it won't really make much difference. But trying to keep to a 12-inch measurement should keep all of the combs that are created about the same size. And if you need to move comb from one colony to another, that might be quite important for you. The next part of the build is the crucial bit. Mostly because if you don't have great woodworking skills like me, you can cover up any errors at this point. We have to make what are called follower or end boards. These are wide at the top and narrow at the bottom and will act to prevent the bees from getting around them into the next section of the hive. So if you only have a swarm of bees that have started to build comb on four or five top bars, you can keep them snugly housed in one end of the top bar hive so that they can defend and build a neat little comb area. And as they grow, you can move these end boards or follower boards 
to insert another top bar and thus increase the space that the bees have. By making up these end boards or follower boards, now we can lean the sides that we've already created against them to get the exact shape of the finished hive and not have any gaps that the bees are going to be able to squeeze through or glue tightly together with lots of propolis. Once the side planks are fitted up against the follower boards, we can attach the end caps that will seal the hive at the ends and fix the position of the side walls permanently. Once these are attached, the whole construction can have legs fitted to the ends and it becomes freestanding. As you probably remember, most if not all of my hives are on open mesh floors and I see no reason why we can't fix an open mesh floor to the top bar hives. I imagine if you wanted to, you could fix a length of planking to enclose the entire base bottom area and make it a solid floor, but I'd like to see what debris falls and in particular to be able to see if any varroa mites drop. It also helps with cleaning. We're still considering how best to make this modification as I'd also like to have a varroa board insert that we can slide in to make observations on the debris and varroa that falls through more easily. It's looking like a couple of slots in the side of the planking might be the best option, but we could just as easily fit some kind of runner system to the bottom too. I think this is a point we'll have to feature in an update once we've completed the build. So imagine we have a four foot long wooden box, wide at the top and narrow at the bottom, with wooden legs attached to each end, and you're starting to get a picture of what we've created. Next, we have to fit the top bars to it from which the bees will draw their comb. These will be simple lengths of wooden batten measuring about 430 millimetres long. That's about 17 inches. From what I can tell, these are generally about 19 mil by 35 mil, and most people appear to have some kind of central groove or point to encourage the bees to draw the comb down in a nice straight line along the length of the batten, which is in fact the top bar. Now this is where I've seen some terrible efforts when I was a bee inspector, and the bees are definitely not reading the same books as us when it comes to how they draw the comb. Most usually, they seem to head off at all sorts of different angles and end up stitching the top bars together, so when you inspect, you have to lift four or five top bars off at the same time in order not to destroy all their hard work. I think the slot in the top bar is to allow the beekeeper to insert a starter strip of wax or something to try to encourage the bees to follow a set line that the beekeeper wants them to draw their comb in. Now regardless of where the bees end up nesting, if left to themselves, they always seem to be able to draw out comb in a straight line, falling nicely vertically down. So I'm guessing if you don't have the top bars set perfectly level, the bees will probably go off-piste and do their own thing. Digressing again, Pete and I have discussed this and are going to fit levelling feet to the bottom of the legs so we can get it set up perfectly level. An extra expense, but one that I think is going to save us a small fortune in payments to the swear box during the active season. Going back to the top bars for a moment, with the width being 35mm, we reckon we can get about 37 top bars to fit into our hive. That doesn't allow for the follower boards, so we'll have to adjust that number but let's say we get 35 top bars to fit in total. We should be able to get a decent sized colony into that and produce a reasonable amount of honey. However, let's get back to the construction and worry about honey production next season. Next up is the position of the entrances and here I think we have several options. Let's just pause and imagine I have a fully working hive 
and a large colony of honeybees in it as we go into the late spring and early summer period. Everyone knows you need more than one colony of honeybees, so you can use one to recover any issues you might have in the other. So we need to be able to split this virtual large colony into two, but without building a second hive. The answer is to stick a division board, that's one of the follower boards, straight down the middle of a large colony we've got in our virtual top bar hive. This splits the colony into two separate sections of the top bar hive. One with a queen, one without a queen. We now need to give each end an entrance so bees can fly in and out from both ends. It makes sense therefore to pre-drill these entrances in advance of any kind of splits we might want to make in the active season. In fact, if we drill holes along each side, not only can we split the colony into two nucleus colonies, we could actually split it down further into three, four or even more mini-nucleus colonies. These could be used to raise queens. These holes can be fitted with disc entrances of various colours that can be closed completely off to start with, or again, thinking of keeping costs as low as possible. If the holes are the right size, you could simply use a wine cork to bung the hole. So now I'm thinking we need three or four of these division or follower boards, and that would give us four or five sections within the hive body itself. So our 37 top bars with comb hanging down would be reduced to 33 or 34. That's no problem because if the bees have been productive, I can remove some of the honey to enjoy. Bonus! So multiple holes drilled down each side and a couple in each end would give us maximum versatility when the time comes. I think that's the way that we're going to go. As yet, I've not discussed this bit with Pete, so stay tuned for the next Top Bar Hive instalment and maybe me and Pete will have agreed on what we're going to do. At the moment, we have our virtual hive fully constructed with top bars in place, but no roof. More options available here, and during my time as a bee inspector, I saw some shockers. The simplest form being a tarpaulin sheet tied across the top. Others included corrugated sheets bent over and tied down to elaborately hinged pitched roofs. The best one I think I saw, in my opinion that is, seemed to be one of the simplest. A wooden frame with a metal cover and insulation fitted inside. Unclipped and lifted off onto the ground for inspections, it just seemed a simple answer. There was an obvious additional cost here with the metal tin being fitted, but I think that would be worth it to protect the hive and the roof material too. I don't really like the pitched roofs as they never seem to sit flat on the ground, even when there's a brick or stone to support them. So I'm thinking we'll add a slight fall to the roof somehow to allow water to run off to one side, but otherwise keep it flat. That's it. There are no other parts we need to construct for the initial hive, although I'm thinking ahead about feeding and treating the bees and can already see challenges with that. If I'm going to put a swarm in there, I really need some way to provide them with some sugar syrup to help with resources for quickly drawing comb. Maybe some kind of tray system that fits inside the hive, or perhaps a hamster cage water bottle with a drip nipple fitted through one of the unused entrance holes. That would provide access to an external bottle feed. I'm sure between us, me and Pete will come up with some particularly ingenious design that will fail miserably and we'll end up with a jerry can of syrup poured into a takeaway tray. If any of you out there have already used a top bar hive and have overcome this issue, I'd love to hear from you. The same applies to any of the other construction questions or just general advice about the best way forward. As I said at the start of the podcast, this isn't me converting to top bar hives to use in my commercial operation. This is purely for the fun of beekeeping and to try something I've never tried before. 
our usual operation will continue. And this will give us a lot of fun and I'm sure frustrations for next season's podcasts, videos and blog. Before I go, let me wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'm off to see Beth in the States and we'll be back for the new year. So do look out for posts on Patreon and social media feeds as I travel around. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for all your comments and support. And if you're not yet familiar with Patreon, do catch up with more of my beekeeping journey by checking out the content list on my creator page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. Have a great Christmas and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.